Take a look behind the curtain with a real whistleblower and American patriot. Prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truth because this program has no time for comforting lies. Here is civil liberties enthusiast, Second Amendment defender, and recovering FBI agent, Kyle Serafin. Hello, my friends, and welcome to The Kyle Serafin Show. Today is Tuesday. It's October the 10th. You can see me glancing over to make sure I know what day it is. And uh, I've got a really good show for you today. I think you're really going to appreciate this. This is a bit of sobriety in sort of a, uh, a very frothing at the mouth environment. There's a lot of people out there that are acting, I think, unscrupulously. They are acting in an unhinged way about what's going on in this world. So we're going to bring it back to reality, which is what we do here. I've got a fantastic guest named George Hill who's going to come on in just a few moments. But first, we're going to get started with just giving you an expectation of what today's show looks like. And if you're sitting in the live chat right now and you have not hit the like button, you're going to want to do that eventually. So you can do it right now or you can wait a few minutes and do it when we bring them on. I don't care either way. So let's talk about this. Everybody is looking at Israel right now. And if you have been sleeping in a cave for the last couple of days, Hamas staged a surprise attack on the Israeli nation. They came in and we're going to show you a lot of footage from that. And we're going to kind of uh, evaluate it dispassionately. There's been a, a counteroffensive that has happened, which is totally expected by the Israeli military. They've been bombing the Gaza Strip and they've been causing, um, you know, a lot of different, uh, at least physical damage to the buildings there. I'm sure there's a lot of life loss as well. We're going to talk about that, what that means as Americans, as people who are not living there. And if you are emotionally tied to either one of those causes, um, we're not going to be talking about those things. So you can find that in another space. But this this show is going to be talking about what it means to the United States, what it means uh, on a global scale for what our interests are, and then maybe as you look forward, how do you prepare against some sort of the way that this warning should be heeded? Because there are some warnings to take away from what went on there, and they can be applied to what we're talking about. My expert today is going to be George Hill. You're going to be hearing from him. Let me say thanks to a couple things. Um, I've never I've never run a my pillow before, but somebody started using my my pillow code, and I I had a call with Mike Lindell a while back where he he gave me an opportunity to have one of their uh, promo codes. So here you go. We'll do the 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 Jack Posa routine. There's the my pillow. Look at this. There's a there's a seraphin on each pillow. Actually, those aren't even pillows. Those are towels. If you guys want to use my promo code, it's the same across all the platforms. Use promo code Kyle at MyPillow if you like. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of the pillows per se, although some of you guys love them. But I have I keep talking to people and they're like, oh, I love the sheets. Oh, the towels are great or whatever. So there you go. You can use K-Y-L-E if you want. We get a, a chunk of the sales there. So if you're going to buy them anyway and you want to support our show, you can do such a thing. Uh, by all means, check out the MyPillow and uh, you guys have seen a million things of Mike Lindell talking. I get a bunch of these little things. They sent these in my email. And uh, like I said, I... It's it's almost a cliche that if you're on the political right, that Mike Lindell will give you a promo code. So I literally sent an email off and they sent it back and said, do you want Kyle? And I'm like, yeah, I do. That's easy for people to remember. So if you guys want to buy them, if you like the slippers like Ryan, who I think is wearing the slippers right now, uh, he showed me before the show. If you are into the sheets like my parents sleep on, by all means, check out. There he is. He knows. You guys can use uh, the, the promo code Kyle on my pillow and go uh, keep Lindell in business. He seems like a good dude. He's actually really funny. Um, Mike Lindell said something on one of the calls. He was like, what do I know? I'm just like a regular recovering crackhead. And I'm like, there's not a lot of regular recovering crackheads, but Mike Lindell is that guy and he's done well for himself. So check it out. If you didn't do it, promo code Kyle, K-Y-L-E. Uh, easy stuff to remember. Okay, let's bring on George. We're going to talk about other sponsors later on. We'll kind of break in and out here. George, uh, welcome to the Kyle Serafin Show again. How you doing, buddy? I'm well, thank you. How you doing? I am fantastic. Good to see you. All right, so George Hill is now uh, living in an undisclosed location for the next couple of days. He has uh, some... Some things happening on his roof. He's been installing like a, a gun turret, I think you had. You said you were putting a belt fed yeah. up on the roof. 
And yeah, the uh, the moat's going in tomorrow. Okay. Um, got some heavy equipment coming in. Outstanding. So people know they come to the show, they get a little bit of humor, they get a little bit of sobriety, they get a little bit of information. We try to have it with a little bit of, uh, with just a little bit of taking off the serious veil. With, uh, with George, what I want to do is I want to establish some of the bona fides. Now, when I had Mike Benz on the other day, we showed Mike Benz. Did you just make him go away? Or did he just disappear? Did we just lose George? NSA feed cut. Before we do this, George is 65 years old, ladies and gentlemen. He is a former NSA uh, analyst. He was an FBI supervisory analyst and worked in counterterrorism. He worked in all the national security spaces. There you are, George. At 65 years old, George sent me the other day because apparently he and our, our, our many-time guest, Steve Friend, our regular Friday guest, got into a little spat in the background, and I want to kind of share the details. George, do you want to elaborate on what your contention was with Steve Friend's uh, characterization of analysts? Yeah, I, I was listening on uh, to Friday's podcast. I, I usually listen to the podcast because uh, of my schedule. Yep. And towards the very end, Steve Friend, and I, I actually took a screenshot of it when he actually said it, he said that, you know, is there any other kind of intelligence analyst, meaning that, that's not fat? And um, so uh, last summer, not this past one, but the one before, we were scuba diving on uh, the St. Lawrence Seaway, and my buddy snapped a picture of me just chilling on the back of the boat. And I said, Steve, I take issue with your characterization that all intelligence analysts are fat. And I said, you know, maybe you're splitting hairs that, that a supervisory intelligence analyst isn't fat. Um, but, you know, here's a picture of me, and, uh, you know, I take, you know, umbrage with your characterization. And uh, he wrote back just a one-word answer, Photoshop. Um, so, all right, we'll let the, um, we'll let the, frankly, we'll let the audience be the, the judge. Uh, Ryan, you got the photo. We're going to throw it up here. This is, this is George Hill at 64 last year. Um, you guys decide, is he fat? Is he not fat? You can put it in the chat. You can put it down in the comments. Um, he does not have any hair, so he's certainly streamlined like a torpedo in the water. No, yeah, no, it's not, not a good look. <laughs> there it is. It is the, uh, it's the, uh, the chrome dome, but uh, Moreover than that, so that's just our, our little lighthearted levity to kind of get started here. I want to give people, and we don't always do this, a really good taste of your credentials to talk about this particular topic. And I think they're significant. If you'll bear with me, will you please start telling people specifically about your um, your jobs? And then we're going to get into what those roles entailed second. And then I want to uh, kind of apply them forward. So just the actual kind of like highlights of the uh, the jobs that you've worked in the last, let's say, 35 years or so. Got it. So, you know, I began my adult life as a Marine, did 13 years active duty there, did counterinsurgency operations uh, in the Philippines and in uh, Central America, um, did not really get thrust into the Islamic world um, until 9-11, like everybody else did. And at that time, I was a civilian and a drilling Navy reservist uh, in, uh, staying in the intel field. And I got mobilized you know, three times. Uh, the first time just to the port of New York, nothing special there, doing boardings to see with the Coast Guard. Um, then again into into the GWAT um, in Southwest Asia. Uh, and then I spent another year in Guantanamo Bay doing interrogations. I was the non-commissioned officer in charge of the Saudi team. Um, our civilian DIA uh, officer in charge rotated out without a replacement. And I became the act. Oh, man, what is going on over there, you think? Ryan, we just lost him again. He just clicked out. Uh, seven, seven day a week operations. <laughs> and um, what is, am I still here? Yeah, you glitched out for a second. You're all good. Okay. Yeah, I'm hardwired in. Um, and uh, was recruited by the National Security Agency to work uh, counterterrorism uh, for those folks. And I worked in the counterterrorism mission management center 
uh, while at the NSA doing fine fix finish operations, which were in response to the national intelligence priorities framework of addressing um, people, terrorists primarily, um, that pose a threat to the United States. Can I pause and, you right uh, there? To remove them. Let's take let's take the euphemism out of fine, fix, finish. Do you want to tell people what that means in plain speak? I, I was getting. Oh yeah, yeah. sure. So okay, fair enough. Find is you know find their location, um, fix that location, um, and then use some form of kinetic means, whether it be uh, snake eaters or predator strikes or some other means uh, to remove them from the battlefield um, in a permanent fashion. So, you know, I. I it sounds horrible to say this. I'm intimately familiar with the global jihad movement, having spent hundreds, maybe thousands of hours listening to, to these people spout off, listening to them in the SIGINT world. Um, you know, I listened to uh, the Taliban talk about Bo Ber Bergdahl every day uh, after he went over the hill. Um, I, you know, uh, other than having not having lived in the Middle East, which I think is, a, you know, is a fair criticism. I'm pretty familiar with um, the Islamic world. My linguist in Guantanamo Bay that I had for the majority of my time there was a former professor at Al-Ansar University. We at night, any spare time I had, we studied the Quran and the Hadith. Um, you know, you have to know your, uh, in my case, you know, the enemy. Um, so. I would not consider myself an Islamic scholar or an expert on Islam, but I think I'm far more versed in it uh, than your average American. I think that's correct. So so just people recapping this, when we talk about fine, fix, finish, he's talking about either people being um, renditions that are being done where we've got uh, special operations troops that are grabbing people or they're eliminating them permanently from the world as we know it, uh, shuffling them off this mortal coil in a kinetic means. Kinetic is always a military euphemism for either uh, some sort of ordnance or some sort of ammunition uh, deployed directly at a human target. So let's, um, and then additionally, when you're talking about working down in Gitmo, you're saying that uh, you were specifically in the room with some of these guys involved in asking questions either through an interp or if they spoke English and you were getting answers about what you wanted to know in the ways that we've done that. You, you've been involved in sort of military interrogations at a right. very high level. Yeah. yeah, so that was both battlefield interrogations on the second deployment and then tactical strategic long-term, I'm sorry, strategic long-term interrogations uh, in Gitmo with all of our detainees were from Saudi Arabia. The exact number is still classified. It was a lot. Um, they are and still remain the uh, ideological and um, financial engine behind the global jihad movement. Um, the Saudis. You know, they're Sunni uh, Islam branch, um, as opposed to Shia, um, which is sponsored by Iran, which is a fraction of the size, I think about one-fifth the size of the Sunni uh, Islamic population. On top of that, you've dealt with some pretty, um, I would say, marquee names in that space. Is that accurate? Yeah. Um, again, that, that relationship also remains... Uh, classified to include some marquee names that are no longer with us. Um, thanks to uh, my contribution to some efforts. All right. So folks, I do that to establish who you're talking to, who you're listening to. I think every single time that you go in and listen to somebody who's an analyst, it should be, is this an academic? Is this a term paper writer? Is this someone that has some battlefield experience, what we would call ground truth 
on the military end of things that have actually been downrange with it or have been in the room with the sources of information. And that's what I want you to know about George Hill. We don't always establish that so firmly when we talk to George, but I think it's really important today as we talk about this. I've got a whole bunch of videos coming out of Israel and coming out of Gaza. I'm going to share some of them with you, George. I want your like your real-time reactions and your thoughts. Do you have a general sense, though, of what we're looking at in sort of a, a sweeping 35,000-foot view of what's happening in that conflict for people to kind of get a good grasp on? Ryan just got back from the border, so this will actually be really helpful for him. He hasn't been right. paying attention. So what, what do you see going on there? How would you characterize it? I feel very comfortable both from the tactical on the ground level as opposed to as well as well as the geopolitical aspect of things that are going on to include the political battles that are going on here uh, in the United States and in the Western world in general. So, you know, at the tactical level, you know, what we're seeing here are is not uh, an asymmetric response uh, uh, against Israel executed by Hamas. Can you define um, asymmetric for me? Not fighting fair. You know, Marcus and Queensberry rules, um, you know, uh, they're using, you know, tried and true tra tactics of, you know, infiltration using, you know, standard means, you know, using a front end loader to get through a border wall is not an asymmetrical response to a barrier. Um, you know, so you know, these are typical classical uh, tactics being used, albeit, you know, using some different types of equipment. But, you know, whether we're talking about paragliders, which you can rent just down the road here from me here, here in New Hampshire, um, 10 minutes of training to get, to get, uh, amp, you know, spun up on, on how to use those. So, you know, it's a multi-pronged attack using, you know, both ground, uh, insertion as well as, uh, aerial insertion, um, where we do get into some asymmetrical aspects is that it's not military on military other than the attack on the police station and a couple of small Israeli outposts, but the primary target was the peace rally, which they're euphemistically referring to as a music festival. And yes, while there was music there, it was uh, put together to protest the policies of, of, of the current uh, Israeli government. All right. So let's go some video of this. We're going to do it without sound, Ryan. These are going to start off. I want to start off showing that rave you were just talking about at the peace rally there. That's going to be topic number seven. We're going to show a couple of different things. Seven, eight, nine. These are all uh, videos of like how it started and how it ended with these uh, so-called paratroopers coming in on... They're coming in on on uh, hand gliders or paragliders, which for those of you who have never seen it is essentially it's a lawnmower that is strapped to your back. I mean, it's like a jet boat or anything else. It's got a propeller behind you. You're sitting into a chair and it's just a, a small engine that is able to run and it, it uh, uses the wing that is going to be your your uh, your paraglider wing. It's like any other kind of parachuting steerable canopy. It's above them. So we're going to show that. Let's go ahead and run the videos and then I'm going to have George kind of respond to what he's seeing there. But you just mentioned that they're not go ahead and run it anytime, Ryan. You mentioned that they're not um, unconventional forces. These are more like a conventional attack, which is to say you've got forces coming in from the sky. You've got come, some that are doing frontal assaults that are some doing some maybe a little bit more sneak attack type stuff. But these are not like people that are doing traditional terrorist activities. They're acting more like a like a, a pitched military. And Ryan, you can just run through all those videos as you like. Just start popping them up on there. So you're seeing people yeah. in the sky. Go ahead and George, it's all yours. Perfectly encapsulates that. I mean, this is just... You know, a poor man's airborne assault. This is not, you know, the 102nd, 101st or the 82nd parachuting in out of C-130s or, you know, C-47s like they did during the Second World War. This is a poor man's aerial assault, um, but the tactics essentially are the same, which is an airborne insertion 
into a drop zone, in this case, the, the, the Peace Rally slash Music Festival. The difference is, is that the tar is the target. The targets were unarmed civilians. Uh, Israel has one of the lowest percentages of armed populace in the world at about 2%. Um, they're, one of their ministers uh, just put forth legislation to try to change that. Um, you know, Switzerland is at 80%. Uh, See, and we've always been told the Israelis, because they have a conscription and a required military service, that everybody is essentially like the Swiss. But that is turning out to be not the case. I want to show no. some video from um, from these people after they were assaulted. Obviously, none of these people are armed and standing in a pitch battle. Uh, videos 9 and 10, if you would, Ryan. Kind of run those in the background with no uh, audio. But, George, your reaction to this, because this is apparently... You know, we've got people in the chat talking about how this has like Red Dawn vibes, but this is what we're seeing. This is the reaction. These people are not soldiers. These people are not um, ready to engage in conflict. They're they're fleeing. The the look, not, not to disparage the dead, but these people remind me, in you know, obviously a much larger number of that couple that was just uh, involved in that stabbing incident in New York City at three o'clock in the morning. Right. Um, they have never seen evil. Their, their whole world construct has formed and evolved over the internet. They've never met an evil person face to face. When I was with the FBI, some of the agents, oh, we're bringing in this guy and we got this terrorist. I'm like, you're not a terrorist. He's a wannabe. This guy's never killed anybody in his life. You've never stood toe to toe with a terrorist. You've never actually had evil blowing their last breath into your face. The, these kids, it's horrible what happened to them. I'm not trying to minimize it, but their their perspective on the world is unfortunately deadly naive. Yeah, I know. I think it's a good characterization. Can you talk about uh, looking evil in the face and what that looks like? And we want to say thanks to Kim Wexler, who's sitting in the chat right now with a, a rumble rant saying, follow Senior Chief EXW. That's George's handle on Twitter. So you guys can find him on X Twitter and, uh, and do that. You can also find him at Jarhead George. Both of those are in the uh, show notes if you're listening right now. So, you know, what is the difference between a maybe an academic sense of evil and then staring in the face? These are people who are just as willing to kill you as you are willing to you know, take the trash out. There, there's not a lot of thought behind this. One of the things that, that the Western world has learned, especially um, after World War I, is that, that people's brains had to be rewired in order to actually turn decent folks into, into killers, which is what you want when you put men in uniform and send them forward with rifles. Mm -hmm. um, these people grow up that way. It, you have to you have to understand Islam, and, and I'm not, look, there's two billion Muslims in the world. If we had an Islamic problem in the world, we'd know about it beyond what we're seeing now. We have, you know, Muslims living in our country peacefully. I'm not slamming Islam. I'm, what I'm talking about is Hamas, Hezbollah, Islamic Jihad, ISIS, Al-Qaeda, the, 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 the far fundamentalist uh, group of, of, of Muslims in the world. They view you as you have turned your back on God and you're giving a, a choice to, to come back to Islam or you can either die or pay the jizya, which is the Islamic tax. And if you're not willing to, to, to submit, because that's what Islam means to submit, if you're not willing to submit, then you're subhuman. There, there's no moral compunction to killing you. Uh, I loved it when the FBI came down to Gitmo with, with lie detector tests 
and, and they would wire up some of these jihadists and they're saying, well, there's no deception indicated. Well, yeah, of course there's no deception indicated because when you're at, you as a Christian or a Jew or even worse, an agnostic, questioning a Muslim, lying, there's not, there's not, they're not lying to you. It's no different than you lying to your dog about saying you'll get fed later. You, you, there's no physiological reaction to lying to an infidel. That's such a, and, yeah, and, that, and that's a really important point for people to understand that when people change their framework, when they've been fully indoctrinated and uh, people can go read uh, Colonel Grossman's take on this with on killing uh, and on combat, those are really good sort of works on that. He's actually looked into sort of human violence, but, you know, traditionally men do not kill men in many ways. We don't want to go do that, that we're not wired to do that unless you have actually yeah. been through a serious amount of programming that that sort of short circuits your natural instinct to preserve life. Um, they talk about how in the Civil War, like guys would go and they would load multiple musket balls and they would never fire them or they would fire volleys over each other's heads. So even though you had huge forces facing off at each other, the, the, the death toll was so much lower than it would have been expected of guys literally standing up and trying to obliterate each other because human beings are not programmed to do that. But you can overcome that programming. And these are the guys we're talking about that actually have done that. Right. And we see that in, in propaganda. I think the best example is what we saw in World War II, where you dehumanize the enemy because it makes it easier to hate them and to kill them. And I know these are unpleasant words, but this is this is the human condition. There's no such thing as peace. Those are just periods of time when we're reloading. You know, this is you know, we're flawed beings. This is the earth that we you know have to live our lives out on. So in order to be able to take decent people and empower them to be able to kill on behalf of your country and your fellow citizens, you have to dehumanize the enemy and you know, and Islam does that from the beginning. Um, you know, just I, I urge people to go and read the Quran. I posted a book um, by Mark Gabriel. I posted it this morning on Twitter. Um, and yes, he does evangelize like in the last two chapters. But Mark uh, Gabriel, that's his Christian name. He was born a Muslim. He taught at Al-Ansar University, which is Islam, the Islamic world's version of Rome, um, you know, I, People need to educate themselves as to, you know, who these people are and how these fringe elements uh, metastasize or grow, you know, give or born and then metastasize in certain regions of the globe. So I want to I want to key in on that sort of dehumanizing language, making the enemy something that is worthy of your hate. It allows you to do things that you wouldn't do to other human beings that you recognize as your equals. Um, it, my wife is a therapist. I've told people this before, but some of the language they use there is called othering. And it's uh, it's how you move people outside of the circle of us and you make it a them. It's the stuff that we've seen about the unvaccinated versus the vaccinated. It's the stuff we've seen about people who are going after and naming you know people who like MAGA as maggots. There's you know It's the same thing for demon rats. You can go either side of the coin. If you're yeah. trying to turn people and make them not one of us, you are not one of us. And that's why I'm able to do certain things towards you. That's how you uh, achieve that. And some of that language is actually going on in the United States right now. We've got a, a topic number four, Ryan, if you want to have that queued up. This is a video that I pulled from uh, Matt Couch's Twitter feed. There's a lot of these going on. There were protests happening all over the United States. But these are the pro-Palestine rallies that are happening in the United States. And they're scary because they indicate that type of programming language. I'm going to, we'll react. We'll do this one with volume on so we can hear what they have to say. Palestine will be free. 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 Palestine
You want to you want to kind of reflect on the types of people we're seeing out there and and the the nature of that repetitive chanting and what that kind of does for people. Yeah, it's a form of self hypnosis. Um, you know, it, you you see that like in battle cries, whether it's the Marine Corps screaming hoorah or uh, the Army hooyah. Um, it's a, it's a way of psyching yourself up. Um, it's disappointing that uh, we have American citizens uh, that feel such an emotional attachment uh, to a country that really doesn't exist or, or has existed. There's a people that have existed, but it's sad that they want to um, dive into that, you know, millennial long morass of, of hatred um, that has existed. Um, you know, people forget that in, the, in the poem, The Colossus, they always read the, the last stanza of that poem uh, at the Statue of Liberty of, of sending us your tired and poor. They should read the first two parts of it because what it's it basically, and I realize that we're kind of trying to keep this family friendly, but if the if the Statue of Liberty, if she were maybe say less, you know, less politically correct and more crass, instead of holding up a torch, she would be holding up the middle finger to Europe saying that, you know, we're not playing your games anymore of, of stratification and class and all that other nonsense that has brought nothing but misery. We're going to start a new world here. And so it, it breaks my heart to see Americans on both sides um, getting emotionally invested in something that is antithetical to the very founding of our country. No question about it. There's some uh, some additional things that are kind of concerning. I saw my buddy Steve Gray, who's a former FBI agent out of New York, and I think New York has a real specific problem with seeing these types of things. There's another video that uh, it was mentioned in the chat as well. So uh, topic number five, Ryan, Islam's going to enter your home. We're going to play this kind of, um, it's a sermon of sorts. This is a guy who's obviously Americanized. He's wearing a hoodie, but he's wearing Islamic, uh, Islamic uh, uh, hat or whatever you call the, the head covering. And He's giving a pretty interesting take that would have been in line with 1992 pre-World Trade Center type radical rhetoric, but you would have never seen it in public. It would have been hidden in mosques and it would have had to been, you know, leaked by sources. Now we've got guys out there on microphone saying this thing in uh, in America's biggest city. So let's run that video real quick and I'll get your reaction. Number five. We're done being tortured and hurt and judged. This is the correct religion. This is the religion that all of humanity needs to be upon of Islam. And we will not stop until it enters every home. So I want you to repeat after me. I want to hear it in every single district. It should tremble. Brooklyn should hear it. The Bronx should hear it. Queens should hear it. Say it as if the Ummah depends on this, my brothers and sisters. There is no God worthy of worship except Allah, the God of Jesus, the God of Moses, the God of Abraham, and the God of the last and final prophet Muhammad. So we're looking at something there where a guy is using a lot of the uh, the vocal tones of the evangelical churches that we would see in the South. He's using a lot of that sort of um, that uh, that inspirational rhetoric. And yet he's saying it in a way that is, I don't know, I don't think it's very American in many ways. And he's doing it in the middle of Times Square in New York. Like, is there a better image for the for the moment right now and some of the danger that's being captured with they are going? This is the correct thing. That is not an American tradition that this is the correct thing. And especially with the history that Islam has with forcing things down people's neck. You want to kind of elaborate your concerns about watching that kind yeah. of stuff? 
there, there's a lot to unpack there just in that one minute clip that you played. Um, first, he refers to, he uses the term UMA, U-M-M-A, which is the Muslim community. The Islamic world does not believe in the, the nation, the concept of the nation state, and nor do they recognize the construct that came out of that in the Treaty of Westphalia. So they believe that everyone is born a Muslim, everyone, that Muhammad is God's last messenger on earth because the last guy that God sent, Jesus, who they do recognize as a prophet, but do not recognize as the son of God, mm -hmm. um, that Muhammad is God's last messenger, and he's here to invite you to Islam one last time. And his people, the Ummah, will also invite you to come to Islam. But if you don't, you can either pay the tax or they have the Quranic authority, uh, I'm sorry, the Sharia authority to um, remove you from this mortal coil. So where he's coming at it from a perspective of he's not a United States citizen. He is a Muslim. He is a member of the Ummah. And there have been problems in Michigan. Um, there have been some state representatives that have tried to make Sharia law the 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 law of, of their either their district or their town, um, and fortunately we have the supremacy clause which prohibits that uh, from becoming uh, true. But you know people like you know uh, Osama bin Laden, KSM, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, um, you know that ilk, um, they believe that if you are not living under Sharia law, that you are lit, are an apostate and and you talk about othering, that, that takes othering to a whole new level. Um, if you're not living under Sharia law, there is no such thing as man's law. So there's, there's a real problem here, you know, in, between Islam and the Western world. And I, I think our founders recognize that, you know. And so if, if Iran wants to be an Islamic state and live under Sharia law, I'm absolutely fine with that. Um, but you need to keep your hands out of everybody else's pocket and stay out of their neighborhood and certainly stay out of my neighborhood. Um, but, but getting back to your original question, this gentleman is coming at it from the standpoint he's not an American. He's a Muslim who just happens to be living here. I think that's a really important point to be making, too. And we're going to kind of show what that looks like. Uh, and we're going to go back and show some footage of what's happening in Israel and in Gaza. Folks, if you're just joining us right now, um, I'm talking to George Hill. He's a former NSA analyst. He's a retired supervisory analyst from the FBI. He worked in counterterrorism matters, spent years in the military, both in the Marine Corps and in the Navy, in the uh, more tactical and embedded type of intelligence. He's been face-to-face -face with people that you would recognize as terrorists that have been listed in the global war on terrorism. He's been in what we call the box, which is the interrogation room, and also down range of this sort of thing. He's giving us his impressions on this. This is not an emotional appeal. We are not here to tug any heartstrings. What we'd like to do is understand what it looks like over there, what it might mean over here, especially with these rallies popping up all over the place. And then also, are there any takeaways that we can make um, to make yourself safer, to make yourself more aware, increase your situation awareness, you know, prepare yourself for for the potentiality of threats coming through your door or coming into your communities and your neighborhoods. Uh, if you like what you're hearing, by all means, give us a thumbs up here on Rumble. And if you're listening to this on our audio channel, this is the one where you're missing a lot of visuals. And we did we would have you come and check out rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin so you can see it. Even if you don't catch it live, you're still going to get a lot of the visuals here of what we're referring to because there's it's worth seeing some of this stuff with your own eyes if you're not paying tuned into social media. Uh, and God bless you for not doing that because that sounds like a... Uh, 
That's that's my burden to bear. That's my cross to bear right now as a Christian is being on social media. You can always follow George at Senior Chief EXW. That's Echo X-Ray Whiskey EXW on Twitter or Jarhead George on True Social. Uh, George, let's do a couple of more. I want to kind of pivot over to what's happening in the Holy Land right now, what is happening in Israel, what's happening in Gaza. This is obviously not one-sided. We saw an invasion that happened, You like you said, Earth, uh, earth land, sea, uh, people coming in in sort of poor man's conventional warfare mechanisms, whether paratroopers or running bulldozers through barricades. Those are conventional war tactics. But the response to it is also the Israelis who have a very developed conventional warfare capability. We're going to do a couple videos here. Let's do... Um, how about what's going on? Let's show one more here. This is topic number 11, Ryan, if you would. This is what I would call like a sort of almost a breach bank, bank clear. This is actually uh, before Israel got its feet underneath it. You can run this with sound. These are guys that are taking a, a bomb shelter in Israel and they are clearing it out. And then they're also executing some of the survivors, which is not the way that uh, warfare has generally worked when you do conventional. That's why this is a little bit a little bit more on the asymmetric end. Go ahead and show that video, Ryan. So we're actually seeing dash cam. I'm going to talk a little bit over it. Okay, so there's some shooting going on in the background. You've got some um, men that are using different uh, camouflage patterns and stuff like this, but these are the uh, the Hamas fighters, and they are outside of this bomb shelter. This guy's going for a grenade. He's got some survivors that are up against the wall right now that are either being interrogated and kind of like treated roughly, just kicked over. All right, and this guy's about to go, and what I would say, he's about to, to bang this bomb shelter by throwing a grenade in there. You're going to see people run out of it shortly, and then you're going to hear the grenade go off. So he just lobs in the grenade. This man comes running out. They just open fire on him as he runs away, and there's a bomb in the background, so the grenade actually goes off inside of the shelter. And you can run that in the background, right, without sound after the video ends. Uh, George, maybe your reflections on what that looks like compared to, you know, traditional warfare that we do in the U.S. and the way we would treat people in that scenario. Yeah. So you're if you're if you capture a POW, you are under international law, both the laws of land warfare uh, and the Geneva Convention in 1949. You are responsible for their safety and well keeping. Um, you know, which is one of the reasons the Navy doesn't like to take POWs on board ship, because Technically, once you take a POW aboard ship, you take that ship out of the battle. You, by, by international law, you cannot engage in, in combative uh, actions with that warship. So they're in violation of both the Geneva Convention in 1949 and the laws of land warfare in the terms of, of, of how they treat uh, prisoners. Um, so, you know, these, these are war crimes uh, and we're witnessing it right now. Now, the question is this. Do you have to be a, a, a signatory to the Geneva Convention to be held accountable to the Geneva Convention rules if you're dealing with a non-signatory uh, threat? Jeez, you know, um, when I went through interrogator school, I probably would have had to have answered that question. Um, it's, it's the thing that continues to haunt me a little bit because people keep yeah. talking about they're talking about collective punishment. This is the pushback from the people that are Hamas supporters, the free Palestine yeah. crowd. And they're saying, oh, collective punishment is shutting down the, uh, you know, the water system, shutting down the electrical grid and so on. And so there's all this sort of thing. Uh, Israel is committing war crimes by doing such a thing. But those are pretty, pretty standard military type interventions. You want to deprive the uh, the enemy of comms you want to deprive them of the capabilities that would be electrical that's not punishment per se and then the other question right. is is whether or not when you're dealing with a hamas which i'm pretty confident did not sign the geneva convention are are yeah. you 
Because I, I remember going through SEER school and we had the sort of conventional and the unconventional war. And the unconventional right. prep is nothing to do with what the Geneva Convention is because the rules are out the window. Your enemy doesn't right. abide by them. And so you're kind of in a different animal. You're dealing with it differently. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a gray area. I mean, the United States is not a signatory to the world court. Um, so if you wanted to drag some of these people uh, into The Hague, um, you know, I don't think I, I should have checked before this podcast. I apologize to your listeners. Um, I don't think that Israel is even a signatory to the world court. They may be. I'm sure somebody in the chat knows. Um, but, you know, I, I think that if there was a will and if these people were ever apprehended, which is highly unlikely, right. um, they could face some sort of legal consequences. But it, it doesn't matter to them. Um, there, you know, there wasn't a lot of unhappy people even at Gitmo. They were, they were proud um, for what they had done. And they were proud to be there. That was, that was just the consequence of doing what they thought was correct. Yeah, absolutely. So worth knowing. Okay, so now we showed a little bit of footage. We're going to show some more footage of the airstrike. Ryan, you can run them without sound because I don't think it adds anything other than the visuals on here. But folks, if you're not watching on the Rumble channel, what you're going to be missing is just the, the, the airstrikes that have been going on all over Gaza. These are in obviously very populated areas full of buildings. And there are this is as much as I've seen uh, in my lifetime, Israel reacting aggressively and they are going after it in a way. Now, George, you want to talk about some of the um, the mentality of the allegations that they're hiding people in mosques, they're hiding weapon systems in mosques and in churches and in and in um, in hospitals and schools and stuff like that. That's been a, an allegation against the the PLO before them and and Hamas now for as long as I can remember. Maybe you know more. Yeah, no, we we've known this for decades. We, we it was um, we even have firsthand proof. You know when we rolled into Iraq um, and Fox News has even toured some of these underground facilities where Hamas bragged about how they co-locate these. So it's a win-win for Hamas and um, Pidge, Palestinian Islamic Jihad. Um, it's a win-win for them because they either have innocents killed and they can parade them on television, or they can try to play against Western sensibilities and cause them not to target those areas. So Israel has demonstrated now a willingness to accept whatever the global or whatever that means, um, whatever that word means, global outrage over Israel uh, killing innocent, uh, you know, children uh, and whatnot. So, look, I agree with William Tecumseh Sherman on this after he rolled through the South. And I know I'm going to offend some Southerners listening to this, but war should be made horrible so that they do not repeat their folly. Um, if, if you're going to go to war, go to war. Yeah, that's an ugly thought, but I think it's true. Let's do video number 16, Ryan, if you would. You can run that without sound as well. And I think people can get a taste of just, you know, it's it's not all fine and dandy what's going on in, in Gaza by any means. Uh, the horrific nature of this, you guys can see the visuals here. These are people that are getting medevaced out in whatever primitive capabilities they have. So they're getting dragged out of rubble. Uh, these are, you know, men that are dragging women and children and, and bodies out and putting them on stretchers and trying to get them through dirt roads that either probably were not developed roads to begin with, but now they're full of rubble. You can see they're carrying uh, children and, and and smaller bodies out. And, you know, the, the distress here is, is significant, obviously. But uh, as you just said, you know, war is pretty horrible. And that's the whole point in some ways is to deter future actions here. How do you how do you see this going for the Israeli uh, counteroffensive that's going on right now? Well, I, my, the question that burns in my mind is Israelis are going to launch this counteroffensive. They've made it abundantly clear that they're going to. We're seeing the preparation of the battle space right now where they're going in with uh, air assets, taking out command and control elements of Hamas. 
and then they're going to roll through with ground troops. The question is, is, is that are some of the uh, surrounding states, whether that be Syria, Jordan, um, Egypt, um, or even uh, Iran's proxy Hezbollah, which runs Lebanon. Lebanon is not a country. It's a Hezbollah-run state. Um, are they going to open up a second front or a third front um, against Israel? Israel's going in. There's no doubt about that. You don't mobilize what they've mobilized and roll in that many heavy assets. When I say heavy assets, I'm talking about self-propelled artillery and tanks um, uh, just as a show of force. They're, they're going in. The only question that remains is, is what is going to be the response from the Islamic world, which was trending towards peace. Um, MBS, Mohammed bin Salman, um, you know, has, has had a, an all-out push to try to move Saudi Arabia into the 21st century, which is a long trip from the 6th century, but that's a whole other matter. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's I, I think, you know, that's, that's where I'm holding my breath in, is that they're not going to be able to, I, I find it very hard to believe that Israel is just going to roll in there with impunity and not have any other country uh, get involved here. Yeah, I'm sure that's the case, too. Now, some of the uh, arguments that have been made and, you know, sort of defended the actions of the Palestinians in this case is that Palestine has been referred to as an open air prison by people that support it. They're saying essentially the Israelis have blocked them on one side, the ocean is on the other, and then they're locked in uh, because the Egyptians don't let them through. Why do the Egyptians not allow these, uh, you know, people that are not involved maybe in Hamas that are not enemy combatants to roll directly into Egypt, which theoretically is at least closer ideologically than uh, maybe and maybe there's less blood feud that going on there. Do you, do you have an instinct of that? Yeah. Um, I want to be, I want to choose my words very carefully here. Mm -hmm. um, the surrounding states have used the Palestinians for their own political objectives. Um, it, it's sad. I mean, I, I, Look, I don't want to see any loss of human life. Just to be clear, I'm not advocating for war and the total destruction of, of Gaza. Um, I'm just saying that if you're going to go to war, go to war. But these these surrounding states from Israel, uh, like Jordan and, and Egypt, have used the Palestinians as political leverage for decades, uh, since 1949. Um, Egypt is more red. Pal there are more Palestinians living in Jordan than there are in Gaza and on the West Bank. Um, and Egypt, you know, if they invite, you know, if they wind up with a large Palestinian diaspora, um, then it becomes a jumping off point, uh, you know, for for activities inside of Israel proper um, from Palestine uh, or for, from the Palestinians into Israel. And we already saw in the Yom Kippur War that Israelis tanks move very well through the Sinai Desert. So the Egypts don't want to open up that the Egyptians don't want to open up that can of worms. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, too. Now, there's some sophisticated techniques that are going on on both sides. Like we talk about a little bit more conventional than people are acting like. It's not just an unarmed populace that is getting attacked by the Israelis. And uh, it's also not just, um, you know, street fighters that are flying in and flip flops and, and driving around on motors, you know, what do you call them on uh, paragliders with lawnmowers on their back. Uh, we're seeing some stuff like. If you'll play video number one, there's some drone footage right now that is actually going on, which looks like some outside support happening. Um, what we're seeing here is some aerial footage of, of dropping explosive devices on Israeli targets. Um, so this is a little bit more sophisticated warfare than uh, than <laughs> than just some guys that are running around in flip flops, like we said, and are um, non regular troops. Have you seen this footage before, George? Yes. Yep. 
And what do you make of this? And these are the rockets obviously getting fired back and forth. Uh, and so when, when Israel controlled Gaza, and I forget what year they turned over control of Gaza um, uh, to, um, you know, is, uh, to the Palestinians for self-rule, um, it was very difficult for them to develop these kinds of robust symmetrical weapons capabilities. And now, thanks to, you know, Iran, um, we see them using conventional means to attack unconventionally by targeting civilians. Um, and we're also seeing some evidence of them having climbed the learning curve of what's being uh, learned in, in Ukraine in terms of the use of these small drones and small, you know, small scale explosives. Let's let's open this thing up and, and look as far as some of the implications for for America, as we as we kind of uh, discussed with you know, this is all happening. This is all happening a world away from us. People are emotionally involved in the uh, in the idea of what's going on. But much of this stuff is not going to affect Americans. Even if we have warships that are sitting, uh, you know, off the coast, it's still not going to be an American conflict unless uh, we decide that uh, we want to open up that can of word, which is certainly a possibility. I'm going to read something to you real quick, George. This is from a Marine friend of mine. Um, I won't say much more about uh, who this person is that sent this, but it says with the uh, the way that uh, Things are rolling right now. Israel must have known about this attack. It was underway and did nothing. I'm just, this is a speculation from somebody, so bear with me. Israel allows it to happen, uh, delays its response to maximize effects. Netanyahu gets to claim that we're at war, which allows him to quash domestic dissent and allow uh, judicial reforms that he wanted to do. Israel completely demolishes Gaza. This is like speculation going forward. Uh, in response to trigger further reactions from regional players, Iran back Hezbollah in uh, Lebanon jumps into the fight. Israel direct strikes Iran for supporting a a Hezbollah, and then now you have a strike back from Iran to Israel. These are purely speculative. You open up a big Middle East war, but then the U.S. implications. U.S. jumps in on the Israel side. John Bolton dies after experiencing the biggest and longest orgasm in human history. Uh, we all know that he's such a war guy. I know that would get you going. That's a classic Marine uh, troll there. Uh, allows the United States government to claim that we're at war and quash domestic dissent here. Gives U.S. media something to yammer about other than how bad things have been going in Ukraine. Um, there's some settlement that reaches that allows Russia to stop and freeze the Ukrainian war, which allows U.S. foreign policy types to uh, take an unironic victory lap celebrating the genius of ending the war in Ukraine and how Biden was so great. All this gets blamed on MAGA. Maybe they indict Trump for Iranian uh, collusion as well, despite the fact that we've been sending pallets under Obama and now more money under Biden. And then the United States government uses it as a context in the larger conflict to uh, topple maybe some local places and put Raytheon executives in charge of the Middle East like Bahrain and Qatar and sell their places in Martha Vineyard to get nicer places in Nantucket. So these are some of my buddies that are sending me these thoughts of uh, maybe the way the war looks down. So I think we are really skeptical right now as an American population. Obviously, some of those things are more humorous than others, and some of them are more probable. Maybe knowing that we have the poorest nature on the southern border, we've got uh, people that are actually pretty pro-leftist on the Canadian border as well. We'll show some footage from Toronto in a second. In fact, Ryan, you could actually run video 19 with no sound. It's a it's a rally in Toronto. What does this mean for the larger sort of like security apparatus of the United States? Like, what does it tell us is coming our way and, and what should people start thinking about? It bothers me that some people on the right have um, said that, oh, you know, uh, you know, this this could happen here, like drawing an, a, a linear relationship between Hamas rolling into to Israel and some sort of Islamic horde rolling into the United States. Um, it, it's just 
that's just silly nonsense. That's that's the rantings of a five-year-old who have one too many rippets. Will you say that um, one more time too? I think it's worth saying. Some people are trying to draw a linear relationship or correlation between what's happening happening in, in Israel that somehow because of our porous border, we're going to wind up with an Islamic horde uh, pouring into the United States that looks like what Hamas did. Right. So um, in other words, this you're not going to see flip-flop paragliders coming in over the uh, the border into Arizona. We're not going to see dirt bikes and uh, a bunch of people, you know, riding bulldozers and killdozers driving into New Mexico. And we're not going to see streams of people running in through Brownsville, Texas or Eagle Pass and doing a, a frontal assault on the United States in the same way. No, and I think that, you know, some of the news outlets are, are, are hyping that as well, because, sure. you know, fear is, is a great piece of clickbait. Do I think we've opened up a, a huge festering wound? on the southern border that could result in some sort of carnage in this country? Absolutely. And I think it's just a matter of time before something does break in this country. When you let in five million strangers into your house, at some point in time, you know, something's not going to go well. Um, but it's not going to be this. We're not going to have, you know, people launching rockets into Chicago uh, from the Illinois suburbs. It's, it's just not going to happen. I think that's true, too. Now, uh, if you're just joining us, we've got George Hill. Like I said, he's a former NSA analyst. He was a, a retired analyst now at, from the FBI, spent time in military intelligence as well, including interrogations and downrange. And we're just talking about the United States implications on here. We're showing a little bit. This is the Canadian uh, up in, in Toronto. Like, what do, you, what do you make of this footage you're seeing running across here? And we'll, we'll leave it for just a little bit longer. But, George, what do you think about the fact that there's so much support that is vocal and loud, whether you be in Austin, Texas, or whether you're in Philadelphia, whether you're in Seattle or New York, that is uh, picking mostly they're, they're pro-Palestine forces. And then you see the government lighting up buildings that are in the, you know, the Israeli colors. What does all that tell you is going on on our side? That besides our political polarization, we still remain, you know, we're also polarized uh, as long, along uh, religious lines. Um, sadly, you know, a lot of the Western world has either become, you know, agnostic or uh, climate pagans or whatever, but they've turned away from a Christian faith or a Judeo faith. And that's a great opening for people who are extremely religious. The, 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 the Muslim world is understands history far better than the Western world does. If you asked, and you're probably not even going to get a right answer, but if you asked a 10th grader what happened in 1492, you're not going to get ocean, you know, Columbus sailed the ocean blue, probably not, because they don't know. But if you ask a Muslim what happened in 1492, they'll tell you it was the Battle of Grenada and marks the, the, the zenith, the, the, the acme of the Islamic advance into Europe. Um, so their, their world perspective is completely different uh, than ours. And religion is central uh, to their lives, where in, where in the Western world, um, TikTok and tattoos have become central to our lives. Yeah, TikTok and tattoos and all the people that seem to be doing that, many of them who are either agnostic or, as you said, atheist and don't have any sort of religious thing, they also sort of align themselves with this fundamentalist type religious ideology. They're they're getting behind a pro-Palestine. How did that conversion happen? Because you got some age on me and I, hopefully you maybe some experience. I don't know how people got captured into an idea that we need to go and scream free Palestine and, you know, from the river to the sea. How, how did people who don't even believe in any religious fervor go after like a, an extremist religion? I heard someone say it was well over a decade ago, probably even longer, I think during the Clinton administration, 
Um, when we had the, the rise of, of numerous evangelical churches across the country, and, you know, we had some people, some notables like Jimmy Swaggart and, um, oh, goodness, I can't remember, the PTL folks um, that got into some trouble. But during that rise, um, somebody was said that um, fundamentalist Christians have simple answers to complex problems. So any fundamentalist religion has simple answers to complex problems. And Islam is no, um, is definitely not an outlier in that regard. They have very simple answers to, to life's complex problems. And where you have a growing segment of the population uh, across the Western world that would like to believe in something, you know, and some people embrace climate change, others embrace, you know, uh, aliens or, or whatever, um, you know, and believe me, I, I sat and listened to these guys. If you, if you want to get a Saudi to talk, to get them to talk about religion. And then you can get them into more substantive discussions uh, about what kind of intelligence elements you're trying to collect. So I, I spent a lot of time listening to that religion. And I'll tell you, there are a lot of aspects to it that sound very appealing because they've got simple answers to very complex questions. So it doesn't surprise me at all that a growing segment of the Western population that is just floundering around between drug abuse, multiple sexual partners, whatever, um, would gravitate towards this. Doesn't surprise me at all. It's it's a good message um, for people who are very open to messaging. Yeah, people who are looking for some answer, any good answer that's simple and has a, a united worldview makes sense to them maybe. Um, I think the other thing that I'm kind of curious of, do you recall there was a time when the U.S. was sort of less interested in what was going on in Israel, but somewhere in the 90s, that sort of moral majority group and, and the very evangelical movement to start taking people to Holy Land really changed the game, it seems like. And, and like I said, I was pretty young back then, but I remember the messaging campaigns about, you know, Christians needing to send money to the Holy Land and keep Israel free and all this kind of stuff. Can you kind of elaborate on that for folks who are a little bit younger? Um, you know, what was going on there and, and, and how is that sort of, what does that legacy echo like right now? Yeah, I honestly, I, I'd i like to be able to comment on that. I know Michelle Bachman has a, a series of commercials of uh, uh, sending support to the Holy Land. Like a bunch of them I, do, right, though? I mean, like, yeah. It, it, but it's it started somewhere in the in the mid-90s when... In the 90s, yeah. It was pretty much... Israel was pretty much off everybody's radar, even, you know, during the, the, the various wars, the, the Yom Kippur War, and, um, you know, but I think... I, I think that during the Olympic hostage crisis, which is even predating that, which is, what, 1972... Um, yeah. I was just a kid then. Sure. Um, I think people started to, you know, get a recognition that like there's something odd uh, about what's going on there. And then you had the hijackings and things of that nature. Sure. Um, but why the evangelical movement um, embraced the Holy Land? If and I, if we're talking about a 40 year old memory here. You know, going back that long, um, or 30 plus years, um, was that. You know, there used to be a lot of Christians across the Middle East, and ever, since the end of the Second World War, they have been driven driven out. The Coptic Christians have been driven out of Egypt. The um, the Orthodox Christians, sure. um, which people most recognize under as Russia, but we're talking out of Constantinople, um, have been driven out of the Levant and Middle East to their own single digit uh, numbers now in terms of percentage of the population. You know, so I think there's always been that strain, uh, especially within the evangelical world, to try to bring Christianity back to its birthplace. Um, 
like a non-violent, uh, you know, non-kinetic uh, sort of crusade through activism and financial support and, and, yep. and a lot of prayer and, and kind of yep. some hope too. Exactly. A very Christian approach to it as opposed to a militaristic approach. So I've seen some of the commentators on social media and some of them are trying to play devil's advocate and they're playing and they're saying, you know, you've got the Israelis, they're wearing their star, they're wearing their their um, religion on their military uniform. Obviously that makes sense because it's Israel and it's it's... It's a, it's a Jewish state. It's a Jewish state. So it is what it is. Uh, and they were saying, well, you know, would you feel comfortable with an America that decided to sort of put Christianity out front like that? Like we we always claimed that this is a Christian nation, at least it was by founding. So would you feel comfortable if if all the police started executing like Christian principles and putting it on their uniforms, wearing a crucifix or a cross out on there? And I, and I found that to be kind of a funny little uh, thought experiment because if people actually acted in a Christian manner as law enforcement, uh, wouldn't wouldn't that be an amazing place to live in so many ways? If you had people that said "do good to your enemies" and turn the other cheek, and simply were only you know exercising authority and, and the minimal violence, and especially if the the people they were policing actually all did that, I think that's actually sort of what utopia looks like. We don't have it, but it's kind of a funny little thought experiment that's going on out there. And for some reason, they thought that was owning the Israelis. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I like I said, I'm an old man. I always thought that Christianity was something that, that lived in your heart and then it manifested itself through your actions um, and did not necessarily require um, some sort of outward visibly symbol, uh, visible symbol. Turns out. Uh, folks, we're talking to George Hill. I'm going to say a quick thank you to our, uh, our sponsor over at Catholic Vote. Uh, not, not to derail our conversation here, but if you can pull the sucker up here, this is the loop. Today's loop actually has one really, really important uh, thing that I would encourage you to go see. It's a video that's made by the uh, a spinoff of Catholic Vote called Edify. You can go to catholicvote.org and you can click on the loop, which is available there. You can either sign up for it or you can click on it. And right at the bottom, uh, uh, about three quarters of the way down, you're going to find something that's called the Ironies of Feminism. It talks about the birth control pill, abortion, rampant single motherhood, progressive gender ideology and theory celebrated as heroic accomplishments and victories of feminism. I think it's worth your time to go and watch that video. The way that they always do it is that uh, these... These edifies are similar to like a PragerU type thing. It's animated with a lot of subtitles and whatnot, but you can actually pull them up, watch it. You'll walk away with some talking points that are going to be relevant to you, and it's going to make some connections that I think are worth your time. Check out Catholic Votes channel on YouTube, and they have it. I think they're actually starting to put them on Rumble as well. But Edify, E-D-I-F-Y, um, that's that's the gem that is in today's loop. So we do thank them for sponsoring our podcast, and they keep us going. And uh, by all means, check them out. You can always sign up for the loop. It's my favorite email to get in the morning. It keeps me going. There's a whole bunch of other topics that are in there today, but I'm not going to hit them all for you. You guys can go check it out. Uh, George, I want to talk about situational awareness. I want to talk about preparation. Hang on for just a second. I have to step away for less than 10 seconds. Okay, go for it. While you do that, let me uh, let me throw this up here. We talked about this the other day. This is our merch store, and if you're not supporting Garrett O'Boyle, you want to support FBI whistleblowers and friends of our channel, you can do so here. There's no money involved for us. This is just us trying to help out our buddy. Go to the-suspendables.com, the-suspendables.com. If you want to experience freedom, uh, everybody can agree that skies out, thighs out is the way to go. Get yourself some Ranger panties there with either the badge or the Betsy Ross Suspendables logo, the-suspendables.com. Is where you're going to go find it. And if you want to get super wild, as we talked about yesterday, you can use uh, our promo code, which will get you 10% off anything you buy. Or you can buy this little secret hidden thing for Kyle Serafin Show listeners only. Who else is going to the show, uh, show other than Suspendables? Go to uh, check out our lapel pin, which you're seeing I'm wearing right now. If you add three to the cart, it's going to knock down the price to $30 overall, including free shipping. 
I think George is reorganizing his house. He's, he's got people breaking in the back door. Go to uh, the-dispendables.com and you will get uh, an access to the lapel pin. Like I said, if you want to get three of those, that's one for you, two for friends that are suspendable. Here's mine. You can see I'm wearing one right now. I've got them on all my suit jackets and we're wearing them. Why is the badge upside down, Kyle? The badge is upside down because suspendables know the FBI is under duress. It's going after MAGA. It's going after so-called white right-wing extremists and militia violent extremists instead of paying attention to the things they should be doing which is looking out for foreign threats and looking out for international terrorism. They're looking at what they call domestic terrorism, a very, very scary thing in so many ways. We're going to talk about situational awareness here. I know George is a guy that prepares at 65. You can see the physique. You know that he goes out there and trains. George, you want to tell people a little bit about your training uh, regiment, which I actually find to be both extreme and, uh, and I'm also really appreciative that you, you continue to set an example. There he is. Uh, look, I only do this um, for, for, I actually do it for a lot of reasons. Um, number one, uh, it's the best defense against depression. And I'm not going to get into some personal tragedies that I've had in my life. Um, but I like to play. I like to scuba dive, ATV, backpack, camp, snowshoe, mountain climb. Um, and the only way I can do that is work out. So it's pretty much a seven day a week workout routine. Um, but it's balanced between strength training and cardio training. And, um, recently I've added backwards walking into my, uh, regiment, which has been an absolute godsend. Uh, in terms of if there's anybody in the chat that's over the age of 60, they might be familiar with sciatica. I haven't had a, a sciatic uh, issue since I started walking backwards. Um, I just traveled to Alaska, a lot of time in confined spaces, took the train all the way back across country, uh, lived in a very confined space for, for three nights and four days. Um, didn't have any discomfort at all because, you know, stretch on a daily daily basis and, uh, work out almost seven days a week and um, probably don't eat as well as I should. Uh, but I learned a couple decades ago that you cannot outrun a bad diet. So, you know, I do watch that uh, pretty closely as well. It's one of the things that most people who are in the so-called prepping space or people that are like, you know, sort of disaster preparedness often neglect. I see all these really fat guys with a ton of like canned food and, and chickens and jars and things like that. But they've forgotten that the number one thing is, is that if you're not fit, then you're going to be a liability and you're most likely going to be a you're going to be a, uh, what, what do my buddy call it? A, uh, a supply drop for people that actually are, that want to come in and do it. Um, we balance out the, the fitness part of it with weapons training, with uh, making sure yeah. that your home is in order, make sure your finances are capable. Uh, do you, do you keep food stores or anything along those lines? And then we'll talk about situational awareness in public, which is probably as much as anything else. Yeah. So I've got food stores in multiple locations. Um, right now I'm in New Hampshire, but I also have food stores at my, my regular residence. Um, I also reload ammo. I have a, a good supply uh, of ammo. Um, I have a gun safe that's fully stocked. I'm not a gun collector per se. All my firearms have a specific use. Um, I'm going turkey hunting and pheasant hunting later this month. Um, but I'd have to say that I'm familiar. I'm very comfortable with being uncomfortable. Um, I have the means to filter water, to create heat, to boil water. Um, I wouldn't say that I have like, you know, a readout. Um, you know, joking aside where, you know, I can hide from the world. Um, I think if things go bad, um, you've maybe got 30 days, you know, to make it through. And uh, if, if it goes beyond that, you're pretty much into a Mad Max situation anyway. Yeah. And Mad Max scenarios are always going to be ugly for everyone, no matter how prepped you are or how much you think you're Unless you're totally off the grid and you don't even know this, in which case you're not listening to our podcast. So uh, we're already sort of jealous of your world that you're living in. Can we talk about uh, SA, situational awareness, and kind of the way that you approach going into urban, rural, uh, semi-rural, suburban environments? I want to get your mindset on it. I'll add my thoughts on it as well because we have 
probably similar ideas. So depending on on who's in the chat or who listened to your podcast, they may not be they may be familiar with this reference. I was a Marine recruiter in North Philadelphia. I had from Broad Street to Lehigh Avenue was my territory. And other than the police department, um, what police were in that area in those precincts, um, I was the only white person in that neighborhood. And that I'm not, you know, casting disparaging, you know, disparaging comments against blacks or whites. I'm just saying that I kind of stuck out and I never had a problem. Um, you know, because I saw things well before uh, they became a problem. I did have some uncomfortable contacts, which I'm not going to bore people with. Um, maybe Kyle uh, with you and Garrett and Steve over a beer. But, um, you know, but by and large, um, things can be avoided uh, just by paying attention. Um, and when see, I just want to make sure I'm OK with this, I, I lived on the economy in a third world country um, in a house with local people uh, dressed in the native garb with a spray tan and moved about that very large city um, uh, safely, but by paying attention. Um, the, 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 the most deadly weapon you have is between your ears. Um, and if you choose to use that, um, you know, you'll be in most cases, fine. I mean, there's always going to be that one, you know, swan, you know, black swan event that, that could come at you. But 99 times out of 100, if you just pay attention to your surroundings, um, I took a firearms advanced pistol class one time. And this one gentleman said, oh, can we go through the scenario? I want to learn. You know, we were practicing firing out of a car window, um, not moving, but firing out of a car window. I said, dude, they got, you know, GPS on your phone now. I said, you know, they got things like live 24-hour news. Um, maybe you just shouldn't go in that neighborhood. I mean, just just a little common sense. So, so relevant. I'm going to have uh, Ryan throw up a, a screenshot here from KXAN. That's my local news here outside of Austin. So this is one of the things here. It says uh, Palestinian supporters host a rally at the Capitol on Sunday. This was just um day before yesterday. So you've got these people that are out there screaming justice for Palestine. They're doing this kind of thing. There's this big fat lady. In fact, if you're looking at our Rumble channel, that person in pink is a lady uh, built like a dude, <laughs> maybe actually a dude biologically. I actually can't tell anymore. 2023 has gotten me sad. But uh, Ryan, you'll go full screen back on me. Let me just kind of talk a little bit about some of the mindset that I have and uh, and I'll have George respond to it. But look, I used to do surveillance for the FBI folks. So one of my jobs was is sitting in a place and not getting noticed, and especially areas that I didn't necessarily fit in. Generally speaking, the kind of crime and street-level crime that would happen in places like Washington, D.C. Uh, Kyle Serafin is not exactly the dude that's walking around on the streets in Southeast D.C., which is probably 95% black and a little bit Hispanic, and maybe one guy like me who's trying to score some drugs. That's pretty much who was in the areas that I spent time in. So how do you go about doing that? And this is what I would say the mindset looks like for situational awareness. Georgia said, pay attention to your surroundings. But what does that mean in practical senses? Let me give you some concrete ideas. Number one, what are people doing where you are? Why are they there? And what is their purpose? Are you able to emulate that purpose doing whatever your purpose is? If your purpose is watching, can you be a guy that's quietly in the uh, in, in your car? My buddy who was a 60-year-old man or almost 60-year-old man who's at the edge of retirement for the FBI, gray hair, good shape, doesn't make a lot of sense to be in a black neighborhood that is doing mostly crime during the work hours when he looks like he probably should be at work. And so when people would come and look through his windshield and go, why is Jim sitting there in the car? He would take off his shirt when he saw them coming around the corner. And if they looked at him, he would touch his nipples. Because who was in the car? 
weirdos and freaks and people that don't make any sense in polite society. So a guy that's sitting there touching his nipples gets no more looks. Nobody wants to be part of that. And they would leave him alone. It's a strange and weird idea. But I want you to imagine if you have to blend in in a way that you don't otherwise make sense, you want to be the guy that nobody wants to mess with. You want to be the guy that looks like you're mentally ill more than anybody else on the street. Like nobody wants to go deal with the guy that's naked in his car by himself in a black neighborhood if he's a white guy. Very specific and weird, but also it kept him out of a lot of trouble if he needed to use that. He didn't do it every day, obviously. This was like a rare occasion when he needed to be somewhere he couldn't move and he couldn't get out of there. The other thing is, do you have to be there? George just said it very specifically. Can we practice shooting out of cars? Let's practice thinking about why we don't go to places where we have to shoot out of our car. There's a guy named DJ Shipley. He runs GBRS. He's a former tier one operator. He was on uh, team six for the SEALs. And he had this brilliant analysis because I used to be a multiple magazine reload guy, a guy who had a rifle sitting in the trunk of my vehicle, but I was a law enforcement. So it made sense for me. As I roll around right now, I want one single handgun. I actually got one sitting right here. So here's my SIG. This thing has 17 plus one. So that's really nice. Actually, it's a really easy weapon to conceal. It takes up the least amount of space, but that's all I'm carrying. No reloads, maybe a knife and that's it. And the reason why is if I'm going somewhere where I need to reload my handgun, I am now going to a place where I think I may have to get in a prolonged gunfight where 17 rounds is not enough for me to break contact, keep my family safe, and get away. And if that's the case, then I probably need body armor. And if I'm going to need body armor, why am I not slinging a rifle? Because I'm getting into a protracted gunfight where I might get hit in the chest, and I'm going to want a better weapon system. And if I need a better weapon system and body armor and reloads for my handgun, what in the hell am I doing there? Am I required to be there? This is the United States of America right now. So I don't need to go to neighborhoods where I might get into a protracted gunfight. I'm not living in Israel at this moment. I'm not living in Gaza. And in order to avoid me doing the wild thing where I run around wearing a plate carrier, extra magazines, and a slung rifle, I just choose to go places where I want to take my five and six-year-olds. That's the kind of things that I want to do. So part of it is choosing your route. Part of it is choosing where you put yourself. And if you are going to be the guy that can't pay attention, you're already a liability. And we can go back to that video where the guy got stabbed on the street of Brooklyn. Regardless of what you think of him as a person, he made a terrible tactical decision engaging with a crazy person on the streets of New York at 2 to 4 a.m. You don't need to be out there. My old man used to say it all the time. I, I'm not supposed to say old man. My dad always goes, he, he bristles. I don't know why that came into my lexicon. But my father, who I love and dearly respect, would always tell me nothing good happens after midnight. George, does anything good happen after midnight? Would you give that advice to your kids? Uh, no, I wouldn't. But as a Marine on Liberty, it all happens after midnight. It all happens after midnight if you're, yeah. But Marines on Liberty are looking for trouble. Would you agree? <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. They're, that's why you're on Liberty. That's why you're on Liberty. So if you're a young man looking for a fight, it's a good time to fight it is after midnight or when the bars start kicking out. I had a friend that used to do that when I was uh, active duty as well. He would go and pick fights right around midnight to 1 a.m. So we could uh, actually go and have a beer somewhere else. And it was always like, how do we drag this idiot out of here? He's going and looking for trouble. And he would always like, you know, try to hit on other guys' girlfriends. And, and then when the guy showed up, he would be like, I'm not talking to you, handsome gay man, which is another really interesting asymmetric threat. So, you know, we're seeing the video on the screen right now, going and engaging with somebody who's going to stab you in the heart when you're not prepared to engage in physical conflict. That means you're in some ways looking for trouble. Should you be able to go wherever you want in America? Yes. Is the reality of it that your safety is more important than wherever you were going or wherever you were walking? And is your responsibility to the people that are with you, like that young lady who obviously looked like she was not prepared to defend herself? I just want people to be aware that carrying a weapon is a, is a tool Carrying a knife is a tool, but the weapon system that you have to utilize is your brain, like you just said. The most powerful weapon I, is is 
scene selection, route selection, and do I even need to be here in the first place? Go ahead, George. Yeah, just to sharpen one of your points, Kyle, you know, I've had people say to me, well, I'm in a crosswalk. I'm like, that's a small constellation when you're lying in a hospital bed or a, cro- or a coffin. Um, yes. You know, yeah, you should be allowed to walk anywhere you want to in America, but that's not the reality. Um, the law yeah. of superior tonnage still applies on the roadway. <laughs> so even if you are justifiable and right, you may still get run over. You may be allowed to take up half that lane on your bicycle. But if you're not paying attention to your rear, somebody is paying attention to the the loop um, from Catholic Vote on their phone and reading these very engrossing news stories, and they can hit your rear tire and send you off into oblivion. So yeah, as you said, placing an order with Mike Lindell. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're buying their their my pillows right there using promo code Kyle. Right, the possibilities are they're buying some suspendable panties and they're just thinking about how good <laughs> their legs are going to look in the in the light, and they're going to run you off the road. So it, your responsibility is your responsibility. We say this on the show a lot. We've got a thousand plus of you listening live right now, and if you're listening on the audio show. Um, my, my friend or my acquaintance, I'll say Mike Glover is really good at saying nobody's coming to save you. Be your own first responder. That's the number one attitude. If nobody else was coming, would you act this way? If you were all alone in the world, unarmed and unafraid, would you prepare yourself by stepping into foolish scenarios? Would you go and get into a protest? I, I, I'm guessing you don't like crowds the same way that I don't like. Oh God, no, nothing good happens. And, and everybody that's been involved in physical conflict, that have touched people as they've left this world, that have been involved in uh, situations where you're either part of or reacting to violence, they don't choose to get themselves in violent scenarios unless you're a psychopath. There are very few people that want to go and find um, an un... What is the right word? An unrestrained conflict where you don't know the rules of engagement for the other team. And that's what I would encourage everybody to be aware of. And that doesn't matter whether you're going down to the southern border. Like, you should prepare for the worst case scenario, and then also avoid things that are going to put you in more danger. Most people don't know what to look for. If you don't know what to look for, everything is a threat to you. Treat it as such. There's some really good training out there. Um, I mean, I know he's not sponsoring the show, but I mean, Mike Glover offers a lot of training, great training. There's there's a lot of good training. Even, I know people disparage him, but even at the 511 stores, you can get first aid training for free. Um, Do something. Um, learn how to stop the bleed. We did an entire podcast on it right after a shooting happened on MSU's campus. And I talked about stopping the bleed and how do you do a March assessment? So folks, you can, I I highly recommend going back and doing that. It was like a 30 minute podcast where I just went off on emergency medicine. One of the things that I chose to do with my life, and I think you can empathize with this too, George, gathering skills is something that men who want to protect other people in the world go do. So you know how to land nav, as do I. You know how to stop the bleed, as do I. You know how to deliver lethal force if you need to, as do I. You know how to physically handle yourself in an unarmed scenario, as do I. Are we the best at any of those things? Probably not. Would I rather have an emergency surgeon who's got an entire operating room rolling around with me? Yeah, if I'm going into that environment. But that's not practical. So I know how to use a tourniquet. I know how to you know, use direct pressure. I know how to use a pressure bandage. I know how to go through and operate in a way that uh, is going to keep people alive long enough to go to the next stage. And that involves physical violence or it involves you know, the recovery form. A lot of these people you see in these videos, these war-torn videos, they don't know what they're doing. They're just carrying bodies yeah. because they had no other option. They are not prepared to be a first responder. And, and honestly, even the fact that they're carrying somebody is better than nothing. I used to say something is always your first move. Something. Just deciding to act is bigger. Yeah, everybody hates toxic masculinity until they need it. We said a, we showed a video yesterday, and I think you commented on it. It was a guy who decided to engage a uh, this angry, sort of like homeless-looking black guy on the streets in Chicago. The guy was threatening him and his wife. The wife decides to intervene. Women, let me just put out a shameless uh, plug for your toxically masculine husband. Whenever your husband decides to engage in a physical conflict on the streets— 
regardless of whether you agree with what he's doing it for or not, get out of the way. Do not become a liability for the person that is going to do that. He may get knocked out. You may get knocked out if you play around. He may not win the fight, but as long as you're not involved in it being like a physical combatant, you'll be in a much better place to call 911 or make a response. I see these women right now that are that are so disconnected from the physical realm of consequences when when human beings decide to engage each other either with hands or weapons that they're willing to like get in there and try to put themselves in the middle of it and they're just liabilities it, it comes from this really safe you know loving american world we live in and as things start getting a little bit more towards the chaotic and as we have the potential for street level violence we talk about low level rolling you know conflicts happening around this country especially in the next 12 months you need to keep your head on a swivel and you need to not get engaged in things. You need to be an observer if you can help it. And you need to be out of the way if people are engaging around you. You know, you, you don't need to become a combatant or you certainly don't need to be someone who's shrieking and telling people to stop. I assure you, once men have decided they're going to what we call flip the switch and get involved, you're not going to stop them by yelling their name over and over again. All you're going to do is make the uh, police report more complicated. Oh, and we lost George. The NSA does not like it when we have George. It's probably a great place to, to land this uh this podcast, we've gone a little bit over, but I think it's relevant. I appreciate all of you guys watching here. Look, unemotionally and without any involvement on whether or not there's a right or a wrong, and there clearly are things that are right and wrong on both sides. The Israelis have done some things that people would consider atrocities. There's no question that people would consider some of the things that Hamas has been engaged in are also atrocities. But all those things apart, as a disinterested American, what I want to know is, is where's our money going? How do we keep ourselves out of the fray as long as possible? Do we need to engage? And the answer is, you can be an observer and know that we are not part of this conflict and that there is no street level violence. I think George said it so perfectly. The idea that you are looking at a one-to-one -one analogy, like what is happening in the, uh, you know, the streets of Tel Aviv are not what is going to be happening on your street, whether you live down on the, the U.S.-Mexico border, whether you live up on the, uh, the Canadian border, you're not going to see a stream of combatants coming over with bulldozers or uh, paragliders or anything else. So, if you can decharge the emotional realm, you will be much better off to sort of evaluate what our options look like and also evaluate like what our obligations look like. And right now they are very limited as far as what you're obligated to be involved in. George, your final thoughts? Yeah, just one piece of unsolicited advice. Um, to, to stay out of the this thousand year argument regarding the Palestinians and the Jewish state, um, I, I try to approach it from what's good for my country and what's good for my family. And, you know, it's kind of like the, you know, vote locally, act locally, take care of your neighbor, uh, take care of your neighborhood. Um, it's horrible what's happening right there, right now, but there's nothing unusual that's happening right now. It's all been captured quite well in history. Um, you know, if you want to protect your emotional well-being, this, what I'm doing is just focusing on what's good for my country, what's good for my family, um, what's good for me, um, turn off the, you know, things, you know, after a certain period of time, you know, when you're starting to roll around in it and just let it go and watch something silly, you know, watch a cartoon. Yep. The uh, be be uh, informed, but don't be obsessed is sort of the way that it has yeah. to be. There's there's a uh, there's a cutoff point where we all have to eventually just go. This is not. 
benefiting me. It's I'm moving into the emotional reaction realm. There's a concept of the Dunbar number. We'll do a whole show on it at some point in time. But essentially, outside of 150 human beings that you know the name of, you can't track the human population and their movements. So your tribal number, the, the people that are in your close circle, it really maxes out at about 150. That's why Facebook is so silly. That's why social media is so strange, especially the followings that some of us have built. We can't keep track of all of you. We can't know all of your names. We can't know what's happening in your lives. And nor nor should we. We're not built for that. And so we are not going to be able to know what's happening over there. So just affect the things that you can. Know the things that you can't. There's a, a peace prayer, right, that is yeah. uh, that is out there. This is a, a very Christian ideology or a Christian idea, rather, that you may not be able to affect all the things, but it doesn't mean that you're a bad person if you know your limits as a human being. We all do. Um, I want to say thanks. George, thanks so much for joining me. You want to tell people where they can follow yeah. you? I've said it a couple times. Sure. So it's Senior Chief. EXW at, on Twitter, um, George03245 on, um, on Instagram, if you like outdoorsy type sort of pictures, nice. and um, uh, Jarhead George on, on Rumble. Um, I didn't plan to get into this social media sphere, um, but Congress sucked me in when I went and uh, testified in front of them. So, um, you know, be happy to engage anybody who conducts themselves like a lady or a gentleman in any one of those forums. Amen to that. Thanks for jumping on this morning with me. I appreciate it. I hope the repairs on the on the home continue in, the, in a good way. And, uh, you know, we only had minimal interference from your NSA brothers over here on our uh, the White Hat hackers that are coming in and letting us know they had to kick you off a few times. So that was good. That's your bureau friends, buddy. Yeah, maybe that too. Okay. George, I really appreciate it. We're going to wrap this sucker up. So thanks so much for your time. Uh, Ryan, I want to throw up those graphics. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're still with us, what you're not seeing right now is that the Kyle Serafin show is rolling right now. You can see we're at 747 five-star reviews, the 4.9 rating um, on the Apple channel. And then we crossed a milestone yesterday. I've been holding on to this. We crossed the 1 million total downloads. We showed the other one of that one too. A million total audio downloads, folks. There's a million hours or more of me speaking in the world that you all have downloaded and walk around with your phones. It's terrifying thoughts, but we're really, really appreciative. We're so grateful for you guys following and supporting the show. There was one more uh, graphic of that one, Ryan, if you had it still. I think it showed that we were up. I think we're up like 40%. Oh, no, I up. don't have it. Sorry. No problem. So we're up 40%, I think, for the beginning of this month compared to last month alone. You saw we dipped down a little bit. But look, I watch these numbers. I see that you guys are sharing it. We got rid of the ads that were bothering you on the audio side. So if you're listening to that um, there's a couple hundred bucks that we we forego because we'd rather give you a better product than um, than go and just make money everywhere we can and and that's what it's all about. All right, let's pull this uh, five star review up because this thing does uh, continue because of you guys. This one I hmm, this one is from Diane Feinstein's Holy Spirit, uh, dated September the 29th. I guess after we talked about the passing of Diane Feinstein, and here it is, Diane Feinstein's ghost quote: "I can confirm everything Kyle says is the truth. It's very hot here. I feel like I'm burning yet not being consumed. I wish I had a Patriot cooler." Using promo code Kyle. P.S. Tell Chuck Schumer, Pelosi, Mitch the glitch. We're looking forward to seeing them down here very soon. Well, that's not very nice about DiFi, but she wasn't a very nice lady in life, and uh, uh, I don't know. We appreciate you guys doing the five-star reviews. We're happy to share stuff. If you want to share a little bit of your sense of humor, we're happy to do that. And so there it is. There it is. Look at that. This is the last two weeks, guys. We're up 11%, and that's not even including. That's today included, and today is already on the low end of things. I think we had a record day for Monday's downloads when it comes to the audio. So share this stuff around. That's how we continue to grow. We're super grateful that you continue to do that. And it really is by the grace of God and by the support of our listening audience that we are here standing when the FBI canceled guys like me and George and Garrett O'Boyle and Steve Friend. And this is a voice for all the suspendables, including you. Go to the-suspendables.com and get the merch stuff if you want to support Garrett directly. And uh, and by all means, follow us on social media. We will see you again tomorrow. I don't know what the day is going to bring, but we've got a couple of interviews that are going to be really fun coming up. And um, like I said... 
just so grateful, humbled that the one million, the one million uh, download mark has crossed. Uh, this is uh, the next one is two million, so we got a long ways to go. Thanks for listening to the Kyle Serafin Show, streamed live Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays on Rumble.com/slash/KyleSerafin. Follow Kyle on Twitter and True Social at Kyle Serafin.